Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Father, I just commit this time to you. We are going to need your help to hear your voice. Uh, Father, I pray that you would speak clearly, that you would bring about transformation in us, Father, that our emotions wouldn't get confused and we would miss out on just the majesty and the wonder of your presence amongst us. Lord, I pray that you would bring us into obedience, that you would lay conviction upon our heart, that you would set us free in the process. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. All right, all right. Uh, Last week was a lot of fun. Uh, I love when we get to talk about the things that we are celebrating, all that Jesus has done for us and how he has set us free. Those of you that believe and trust in him as Lord and King, that we've been set free from the penalty and the power of sin over our lives, even though we still struggle with it, the pull is still there, right? I mean, we still deal with sin challenges. We'll get into a little bit about that today, but like just the finished work of Jesus and how wonderful that is and how that's broken us free from the bondage of guilt and shame and quite frankly, from the bondage of religion. I hope that uh, one of the religious folk in the room might've been set free last week and hearing like the real version of the gospel that kind of set you free from trying to perform your way into God's good graces and put that ridiculousness on everybody else around you and making you all judgmental and stuff. Like, well, we love when we talk about religious people, like, yeah, give it to them, Dustin. You know what I'm saying? We get that religion off of me. We don't want that. But like, so, so we have fun when we do that stuff and we enjoy like the reality of the hope that we have in Jesus when we get to look at the layers and the beauty of it all. But John shifts gears really hard on us right here in 1 John chapter 1 because he knows, and very similar to what I've experienced in my own life, he knows that sometimes um, when we recognize that Jesus is the initiator, the author of our salvation, he's the keeper of it, that we also not only experience freedom from sin, but some of us make the mistake because the enemy uses our momentum against us and we actually start experiencing some freedom in our sin and that wasn't the point. I know that I, I went through that phase in my life because I had grown up, it wasn't anybody's fault but my own, but I just grown up so religious and that's all I knew and that's the only lenses that I could look through. And then when I finally realized the beauty and the magnitude of the gospel, the pendulum for me kind of swung the other way. And, and I actually got kind of really irreligious, to be honest with you, you know what I'm saying? Like I went too far. Uh, and I started feeling a sense of freedom because of all that Jesus has done that it kinda, it, I kind of like, misunderstood the grace of Jesus and for lack of a better term would abuse it, to be honest with you. I don't know if anybody's in that category today. Uh, But Galatians 5 speaks of that. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free so that we would not be easily entangled again by the yoke of bondage. Romans chapter six, verse one speaks to that. Should we sin more so that grace may abound more? By no means, that doesn't even make sense. You're not understanding the magnitude of the grace that Jesus has done in the finished work in your life. And truly, if we do really understand that, it causes us to run to him and not run to sin. But John knows that there are plenty of folks who in, in hearing and learning and picking up bits and pieces of the gospel will actually make the mistake and the enemy will use this tool against us to make us feel like we are okay with Jesus as if we are walking in the light when in reality we're walking in darkness. And we need to be confronted with the truth of the word of God. And so John's gonna talk about our favorite subject, 
sin today. Didn't you come to church just wanting to hear a sermon on sin? Aren't you excited? Well, look, here, here, here you go. Here's a few disclaimers I want to tell you. If you get your feelings hurt today, I don't feel bad for you. Because this is the second out of three times that I have to preach this. All right? I don't feel bad for you at all. If you got a problem with what the Word of God is going to tell you, you can send your email to john.thediscipleswhomjesusloves.discipleofchrist.com. Don't bother me with it. I have nothing to gain by telling you the truth. This is all about you and the Lord. I've got plenty to lose as a matter of fact, but I don't mind. I'm not here doing this because I'm trying to gain friends or fans or make a bigger church out of Grace Bible. I know that there's coming a day that I'm gonna stand before God and I wanna make sure that throughout my life, as much as mistakes as I'm gonna make along the way, like I wanna do everything within my power to trust his spirit, to use my life to tell you the truth. And that's why I'm not, I'm not gonna give you my opinion today. I'm just gonna tell you what the word of God says. But you're gonna have to stand before God too as to whether or not you received the truth or whether or not you tried to garner up or manipulate your own version of it to make yourself feel better. So good luck with that. This is between you and him. But John said these words to us because we desperately needed to hear these words. They, they make good practical, rational sense too, which I love. But it doesn't mean that we're gonna enjoy swallowing them any better. But here's the deal. Chapter 1, verse 5 in the book of John, as he begins to address in us, not, not whether we have sinned or whether we currently struggle with certain sin issues, because let's be honest, we all fall into those two categories. But the question that John really brings up to us is, what is your attitude about sin itself? How do you feel about it? Because it's no barometer if you have sinned, whether you have a right relationship with Jesus, because Jesus came to put the penalty of our sin to death. He paid for the whole thing. And so, like, having sinned is not really the issue when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Even struggling with sin, frankly, is one of the realities of living in a sinful, fallen world. And, and just this ongoing work of transformation in our life, Jesus is revealing to us those things, and he is bringing about sanctification. He's cleaning us up, and he's transforming us in those areas where we still struggle with sin. But the question that gets brought up here is, what's your attitude about sin? Because that is a real barometer check as to whether or not you have a real relationship with Jesus. The way you feel about it, the way you look at it, and John brings out the main categories of where we may have the dangerous attitude about sin. So we're going to talk about that here a little bit this morning. This is what John says, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we've heard from him, Jesus Christ, and we proclaim to you. This is the message. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Any questions? Good. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Say all sin. All of it. A finished work, past, present, and future. If we say we have no sin, say no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even the sins we didn't realize we did. And if we say we have not sinned, say not sin. We make him out to be the liar. Good luck with that one. We make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. 
Let's just start out where he started. Um, John wanted you to know real quick, God is not a Buddhist and neither is John. And he says it this way. He says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. You get that idea? It's not mostly light with a little bit of darkness or mostly darkness with a little bit of light. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is perfect holiness, perfect majesty, perfect love, perfect mercy, perfect justice. He is God. He is all the things. Everything that is good is him and everything that is good comes from him. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There is none like him. There is none in front of him. There is none beside him. There is no one that you can compare to him. There is none like God. In him is light and there is no darkness at all. Do we get the drift so far? Which, which makes sense that the next thing, the thing that he would say is that if we say we have fellowship with him, God in whom is light, in whom there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but yet we continue to walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Makes sense, right? We getting it so far? Why are you a little quieter on that one? We're trying to justify our darkness already? We're just getting started, Jeez. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If you claim to have fellowship with him and continue to walk in the darkness, you're lying. You do not practice the truth. That's what John's telling us. And so honestly, I'm gonna, instead of, now that we've read through it together, I hope you have your Bibles in front of you, I'm gonna be working through these verses, but I'm gonna, we're gonna be developing kind of the image of what John is saying up on the screen. And we're just gonna kind of follow that. If I use some scripture references that are not showing up on the screen, you can write those down and check them out later. But let's just start where John started. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But, next slide, if you claim to have fellowship with the light but continue to walk in darkness, you have deceived yourself. You're, you're lying, you're not telling the truth. Um, as we look at the three dangerous attitudes towards sin um, that John presents to us right here, attitudes about sin that are so dangerous in fact John makes the bold and audacious claim that you don't actually know Christ. You're not in the light as he is in the light if you take these positions on sin. So I'd pay close attention to this. You won't wanna check out on this conversation. This means everything for everything from here to all of eternity for you and for me. So he says you claim to, the, the first attitude towards sin that John says in this passage that's really dangerous for us is those who claim to have fellowship with the light but yet continue to walk in darkness. This is dangerous attitude towards sin number one. In other words, you claim to have fellowship with the light, so these are people who are supposedly Christ followers, great church attendants, give to the missionaries, do a lot of Jesus-y stuff, but yet, if we're honest with ourselves, like these are the folks who are willingly, defiantly continuing to pursue sin in their life. Now, it's not like they struggle with sin, not, not like they're trying to allow Jesus to lay hold of those things in their life, but literally walking in darkness willingly, yet at the same time claiming to be people of the light. John says, you're a liar. No, you're not. No, you're not. Let's just call it what it is. And so here in this scenario, I, I think walking in darkness kind of uh, while claiming to be a part of the light really shows up in two main categories. So let's just look at it like that. Uh, main category number one, this would be those who believe, have set, they believe in Jesus, but they have never repented. Uh, so there's a belief in the facts, 
But there, there's never been any heart change. There, there's never been any surrender. There, there's like, you know what? That sounds like a really good idea. I'm gonna need some fire insurance because I heard a really scary sermon on hell one time. And if Jesus is the way out, give me some of that. But in reality, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna divorce what I believe from, from really how my heart is affected by it. And I'm gonna continue to willfully walk in sin and disobedience because I want what Jesus can offer but I'm not interested in really giving my life over to him. John says, you're a liar and you don't practice the truth. You don't know Jesus. You don't have fellowship with the light. This, let, me, let me put it to you like this. Matter of fact, Jesus' first words when he got onto the scene and began his public ministry at the beginning of the book of Mark, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He meant for these things to go hand in hand. Now, we've had a bad definition of repentance throughout history because we made people's repentance about their behavior. Like if you really repented, you would stop doing those bad things. Jesus wasn't tying our repentance to our behaviors. He was actually tying it to our beliefs. That's why he said, repent and believe. Turn from what you are currently believing about what you believe to be the light and right and good and godly and replace that with this gospel truth that I'm about to give you. Repent and believe. These are the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth in his ministry. But we, because of our bad cultural Christianity, we think we can divorce the two. I can believe that Jesus is a good idea, get what I can from him as if he's some salad bar, but the stuff that I don't like, I'll just omit that stuff to make it convenient for me. Who's really the God in that situation? Who do you really worship in that scenario? Those who claim to have fellowship with the light continue to walk in darkness, they have deceived themselves because they've, in one category, we, those that fall in that category, you have separated the two. Let me give you an example of how that works. Imagine two young folks, really lovey-dovey, decided, uh, we're so in love, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together, we're going to get married. And so the young man goes and gets a ring, and he comes to the young woman, and he prepares his whole speech, and he's shaking, he's nervous about the whole thing, but he comes to her and he says, you are the number one woman in my life. I want you to be the number one woman for the rest of my life. I love you more than anybody else. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But I gotta be honest, you're gonna be the number one forever, but I kinda got a good thing going with number two, three, and four. And I don't wanna mess that up. Now, it's not gonna impede upon you being number one. You're still number one. There is none like you in my life. You are, I wanna marry you. I don't wanna marry them. They're two, three, and four. You're number one. What's her response to that moron gonna be? either I'm number one and the only one or you can go find another one. You know, like that is how that's gonna go, right? Why is it that that seems so easily to digest in our earthly relationships? But when we think about a heavenly one, we don't look at it that way, do we? We're okay with Jesus being our number one, but continuing to walk in all the little G gods that we have in our life, willfully, defiantly pursuing sin in our life and being okay with that. John says you're a liar and you don't practice the truth. You don't even know the light. You haven't experienced the light. How can you claim to have been saved by the light if you don't even like being in the light? You love the darkness too much. That's one category, kind of divorcing our belief from our repentance. Another category is just uh, being casual, casual about sin, though we have given our lives to Christ. Listen, we all struggle with sin, let's be honest. I know I do. But like, are you casual about it? Have you openly just embraced 
certain sin in your life and just decided, you know what? You know what, it, it, it may be bad for other people, but in my certain set of circumstances, this is a good thing and God's okay with it. I'll tell you, two of the most common areas I see that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to pick on everybody today if possible. But again, I don't feel sorry for you at all. I'm in some of these categories too. But I ain't gonna tell you which ones, you know what I'm saying? Y'all stay out of my business, mind your own business. I'm about to get in y'all's business though. Mind your own business. Category number, one of the most common ways I see this, oh, Pastor Dustin, I love Jesus. I love Jesus so much. And, you know, me and my boyfriend live together and we ain't married yet. But, like, because of our certain set of circumstances, Jesus kind of just giving me the peace about that. That it's okay for us to willingly, defiantly live in sin, even though we've been told in the scriptures that's not right and good, that's not honoring to God. But, like, just because of our circumstances, I still love Jesus. We're all good. He's my number one. But my number two, three, and four, they're going to continue to be a part of my life. That would be an ex- a situation of claiming to have fellowship with light, just willingly walking in the darkness. You know what I'm saying? Wanting to walk in the darkness, continuing to pursue sin, regardless of what Jesus has said about it. I'll say another category I see it oftentimes, especially when we got a small community that has a lot of sole proprietorships. There's a lot of you guys that wrestle with the temptation of not blending your business with your personal. There's a real temptation to cheat on your taxes. There's a real temptation to use your business to pay for personal expenses and such, doing cash deals under the, you you get what I'm saying? These aren't the only two categories. There's a million of them, but like I'm just talking about some of the common ones that probably hit a lot of us. Do you claim to have fellowship with the light, but yet willingly, defiantly continue to pursue sin in your life? John says, you you might want to check your heart because this is one rock you need to be looking under in your life. You don't, you don't want to walk like this. This is an indication that your heart is not sensitive to the work of the Spirit in your life. And that might be an indication that, in fact, Jesus is not in your life. He's just some distant good idea. If we say we have fellowship with him but continue to walk in darkness, John says that we're liars and we don't practice the true. Dangerous attitude, number one. Dangerous attitude, number two. He says, jump down to verse... Um, Eight. This is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. John says, if we say that we have no sin, say no sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is as much for the completely irreligious person as it would be for the person in, with bad religion. I'll get here eventually, but let's just start here. This is the person who literally has no acknowledgement or no awareness of sin in their life at all. Now, that may be because they have, n- have never been taught the words and ways of God. They've never been exposed to like the biblical definitions of what sin is and what it, what it isn't. But ultimately, they're walking through their life just kind of blind to the fact that they are in desperate need of a Savior because they have no sin. No sin in their life. Um, now, w- w- when it comes to that one, uh, w- one of the evidences that the light of Christ is starting to break into your heart One of the clear evidences of that, that the light of Christ is starting to break into your heart is you start to acknowledge and see kind of the sin that has been in your heart all along that you did not realize was there before. Now, it's the love of God not to just flip the light switch on altogether so you see it all because we wouldn't be able to handle that. And that's why I tell y'all church folks, like, take it easy on folks that are new to the faith. Like we're still having to unwrap the grave clothes like we did for Lazarus. They can't be aware of all of it all at once. God was kind enough not to do that to you. 
But like when the light of Christ starts to break into your heart, we start to notice our sinfulness in light of his holiness. That's one of the evidences that you know that the spirit is at work within you. Imagine if you were standing in a room that was completely dark. In that room, there was darkness and no light at all. And the room was a mess, but you didn't know it because it was completely dark. And then I came into the room with you and I struck a match. And so you have basically like candlelight. And from that candlelight, you would, you would be able to start noticing, man, that a dresser has been overturned and that might be some dirty clothes in the corner. I can't quite make out what that is yet. But like, and then imagine if I blew that candle out and handed you a flashlight, then all of a sudden we would see, oh yeah, gosh, and the bed is unmade and the sheets look dirty. And then imagine if then I flipped on an overhead halogen bulb and the whole, lot, the whole room was lit up and you start noticing the dust on the shelves and you start noticing more acute mess in the room. Like this is very much about how the awakening of our hearts towards God happens in our life. It's the kindness of God to take his time. It's the kindness of God to reveal things in his time to us. But really what happens as we continue to grow in our relationship to Jesus, as we get closer to Jesus, we start to notice just how even more holy and more wonderful and more majestic and powerful and righteous than we realized he was in the last season of our life. And as we continue to grow in our acknowledgement of his holiness and his worthiness, we also grow in an awareness of our sinfulness and our wickedness. It just happens like that. The greater we see him to be, the more sinful we realize we have always been. And this is what happened when Isaiah found himself standing before God and his response was, whoa, I am a man of unclean lips. Of all the things you would think you would say to God the first time you meet him, he starts talking about his sin because there's something about beholding the glory of Jesus Christ that all of a sudden our sin, we become more aware of it. And the point of all of that is we become more aware of his worthiness, more aware of our sinfulness, that we become even more worshipful because we realize just how much we have to depend on the righteousness of Christ and his finished work to make us right with God. That's what drives us as Christians to worship him, not our righteousness, his. The closer you are to Jesus, the more sinful you realize you really are. Which, that's why this one also kind of tips the head and, nods ahead to the person who's stuck in bad religion, who sticks their nose up at other people and is judgmental and constantly walking in self-righteousness and blaming the world around them for not having the same self-righteousness, that's an indication that you do not know Jesus. Because if you did, the more in awe of Jesus that you are, the more aware of your sinfulness that you will be, which will make you even more in awe of Jesus. You get the picture, bad religion folk? You get the picture, those of you that may have no sin in your life, like this is part of the light of Christ breaking into our hearts. And John says, for those that fall into that category, those who say you have no sin, verse six, I'm sorry, verse eight, he says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Which brings us to dangerous attitude towards sin number three that John presents, he says in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, say not sinned. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be the liar and his word is not in us. Good luck with that one, homie. 
You plan on standing before God one day and letting him know he lied? He didn't understand our culture well enough. He should have considered rewriting certain sections of the Bible to make it more accommodating to the rise and fall of different cultures and time. You plan on having that conversation with God? I tell you, whatever bad excuse you try to decide you want to bring up in that situation is going to be crushed in light of his holiness. You won't be able to get those stupid words out of your mouth. That's why I so long for you to experience the truth because I want Jesus Christ to so saturate your life that when you stand before God, you have Jesus as an advocate saying this one's mine. My righteousness has become his righteousness. And that comes through belief. That comes through trusting in Jesus as Lord and King and and literally not, not seeing there being a difference in Jesus as our Savior and Jesus as our Lord, but it's all in one. He's the king of the whole thing. And he says to this one, this one's rising in popularity in our culture, to be honest with you, so you might want to watch out for this. I'll give you some examples, but there's only a million other examples we won't get to today. I'll come up, I'll share with you some of the more common ones. But if anyone says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be the liar, and the word is not in us. Listen, um, what he means by this is for us to say we have not sinned. What John means is something that God has said is sin, we have said is not sin. You following what I'm saying? We said that we've not sinned. You're a liar, God. You said it's sin, but I say it's not sin. You're the liar, not me. That, that, that's what, this, this is a dangerous attitude towards sin. Calling God a liar, he says the truth is not in you. You don't get it, do you? You don't recognize God's worthiness and his holiness. Let me give you an example. God speaks to the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had a lot of problems. They had a lot of messed up people, just like Grace Bible Church does. And I imagine if the Apostle Paul was alive today, the Church of America would be getting a letter from Paul. He'd be getting a lot of, we'd be getting a lot of letters. There was only 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but we'd have 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th Americans and he'd have some things to say to us. We've really gone off the rails as followers of Jesus, people who claim to have fellowship with the light. But God says this to the Corinthian church. I think you'll see some similarities. This is God talking about sin. He doesn't talk about all the sins. He talks about some of them. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just some of the ones that were happening in the Christian culture of the time. And God says through Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Write this down. Check it out this afternoon for yourself. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Remember John's whole purpose in this book, 1 John chapter 5, is that we would know that we have eternal life. That we would know that we have been saved and set free. So we might want to pay attention to when God is saying here, uh, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is how you know you won't. Listen closely. He says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in, who defiantly pursue, who completely embrace, those who indulge in, not my words, this is God's words in his scripture, sexual sin. So sexual uh, sin would be any type of uh, sexual activity, activity outside of the covenant confines of biblical marriage. That's what sexual sin is. Those who worship idols, all the little G gods that we hold up on the pedestal and replace God with in our lives. Those who commit adultery, prostitution, practice homosexuality, that are thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive people, 
People that cheat other people. He says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 11, some of you once were like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. There's some hope in that. Paul wasn't saying to us, and nor is John, if you've ever committed any of those sins or any sins like that, you're out, partner. That's not what he meant. Paul wasn't saying, and John certainly isn't suggesting, if your certain sin struggles and temptations of your life line up with any of those, you're out. It's not about being tempted or struggling with sin and inviting the Lord to transform us in those things. What John is asking us and what Paul is giving to the Corinthians is, These things that God has clearly said as sin, do you look back at the face of God and say, no, it's not? That's the question. That's the question. I just gave you a short list that we find in the New Testament. There are plenty more, but you get the idea. Has what God called sin, you look at him in the face and say, no, it ain't. And here's the reasons why. John says, then you've made God out to be a liar and the truth is not in you. Listen, guys, we, we live, let me get a drink. We live at a point in humanity where Christians, I'm talking about people who claim to have fellowship with the light claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who claim to believe in the words and work of Jesus in Scripture. We live at a point in our humanity where these Christians, like many of us, we are willing, and not just willing, we joyfully and even publicly and even through protesting or whatever, like we joyfully look back at the face of the God that we say we believe in and tell him, you're a liar. You have said that it is sin, but I say that it is not. And it's all over our culture all the time. And it's rising in popularity, interestingly enough. And it's rising in popularity amongst people who claim to have fellowship with the light. That's the problem. The world's gonna always act like the world, deal with it. That's why we're called to go and make disciples. But the problem is, we got people claim to have fellowship with the light, but willingly walk in darkness, celebrate it, publicize it. And they do it in all kind of areas of their lives. I mean, do you fall into this category at all? Let me just give you some of the more common and popular examples. Um, God, you have said, you have said in your word, that every child you fearfully and wonderfully made by knitting them together in their mother's womb. But I have said, my body, my choice. You're a liar. You think that's gonna hold up? You stand in the throne room of God? That he's the liar? Lord, you have said that marriage is when a man and woman leave their father and mother and they are joined together in covenant matrimony under the guidelines of the scriptures. But I have said 
Marriage is for anybody and everybody that wants it however they want to do it. And here's all the reasons why. Lord, you have said that in the beginning that you created us in your image and you made us male and female, but you ain't going to tell me which one of those I'm going to be. I'll decide. You going to play that game? This ain't between you and me, it's between you and him. I won't be able to stand there with you on that day. It's between you and God. Lord, you have said, go and make disciples of all nations. But I say, I'll say amen when I hear what I believe come out of the preacher's mouth. And then I'm going to go back out and continue despising the very world that you called me to reach. Y'all want to play that? I'd be real careful, Christ followers, if you are looking at God in the face and saying what you have said is sin, I say is not sin, that is a dangerous attitude towards sin. And according to the scriptures, you don't know him. I would also be real careful if you regular old going church people that maybe you have the right positions towards some sins, but you have actually ignored some of your own because it's easier to rail about the celebrity sins that are out there that get all the press in the public while we ignore the very calling that has been placed on our lives to reach the world that is currently unraveling around us. But we think it's enough to just stand there and pound our pulpits and stand on the truth of God's word while we stick out our hand to the very world that's desperate to hear the gospel and be invited into the light. What's wrong with us? John says, you make God out to be the liar, but it's you who doesn't have the truth in you. I think we all need to take a hard look at the, the stones in our hearts that we, it's easy to criticize people that sin differently than we do. And yeah, they need to repent. Yeah, they need to be transformed. Yeah, they need to trust Jesus, even though it may seem culturally, personally, morally inconvenient or reprehensible. But like Jesus is not some salad bar that we just come pick whatever is delightful and refreshing and anything that we feel uncomfortable with, we just leave it. Because in him is light and there is no darkness at all. His ways are the ways. His ways are right. His ways are good. And he invites us in to be transformed and to experience the light of Christ with him. I love that he says this in verse 7. There's hope at the end of this. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another, other people in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he gives us kind of this, this strategy to be a part of walking in the light. It's not perfect living. You're not gonna be able to pull that off on your own. It's the Holy Spirit that is gonna allow you to continue to be transformed into who he wants you to be. We're not talking about perfect people here. We're talking about surrendered people here. And this is how he puts it. He says, Verse nine, if we confess our sins, say confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me make sure we have the right understanding of confess because this is the key. Confessing your sin isn't coming to God and begging him to forgive you. 
Notice that John says, come to God and ask for forgiveness and he'll forgive you. The scripture doesn't tell us to come and ask for forgiveness, ever. The scripture right here is telling us in this new covenant that we had that as we confess our sins before the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive. The word that he chooses, John chooses, the word confess in our language is the word homo legeo in their culture. And that word, it literally means to have the same logic or to say the same thing, or literally, let me summarize it for you like this. To confess your sins is to agree with God. We just talked about three dangerous attitudes towards sin, all three of which don't agree with God. You know the way out of that? Confession, agreeing with God. Lord, Lord my, my feelings may not have caught up to this yet because Honestly, like I've got my own challenges and temptations and struggles in my life. And, and frankly, like the culture around me just accepts certain sins as okay. But like I see in your word where it's not. And so I, I agree with you. You're not a God that you should lie. You're not a man that you should lie. You're God. I'm the man. I'm the one that gets the mixed up perspective sometimes. And so I confess to you, Lord, that you are right and you are good. And in you, there is no darkness at all in your ways I long to be my ways. I long to be transformed. Confessing to God has as much to do with the, with the one-time transaction of us coming before the Lord in confession that you're God and I'm not. You're a savior and I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and redeemed. So we don't have to do that over and over and over again in our lives. But yet, even though we have that one-time transaction of surrendering our lives to Christ, we as Christ followers who walk in the light as he is in the light, we have this ongoing posture and desire to agree with God, this ongoing confession in our lives, especially as the light that breaks into our heart is getting brighter and brighter and we're having a clear understanding of who Jesus is and a clear understanding of our own sinfulness. Like, man, we're in a constant state of just confessing those things to the Lord and acknowledging, Lord, this is, these things in me are not from you and I wanna be changed. I wanna be set free. This is what confession was meant to be for us. This is a powerful tool that we get to be called out of darkness into marvelous light. Do you agree with God today or do you still agree with you? Because you make a terrible God if you hadn't checked out. Just ask somebody in here, they'll let you know. Do you agree with God? That's a question. Do you confess that his ways are higher than your ways? His thoughts are higher than your thoughts and his, he's right and you're not. Do you agree with him? You know, he goes on to tell us, even those of us who agree with God, chapter two, verse one, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He wants to continue to call us out of that in our lives. Says, but if anyone does sin, if any of y'all are like me, if anyone does sin, I want you to know that those who are in the light, those who agree with God, those who trust in his work and his ways, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one that paid the penalty. That's good news. The gospel doesn't call us to perfect living. It calls us to agree with God. And in our agreeing with God, we'll be transformed. This is why he says in verse six, whoever says that he abides in him, abides in Christ, ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Not because now that you believe in Jesus that you figured out how to conjure up all the right behaviors. But there's something about clinging to the vine that is Jesus that out of you will grow the fruit of Christ. That's why Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's the fruit of the what? The fruit of the who? It's, it's not the fruit of the Christian. It's not the fruit of the churchgoer. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If we're going to walk like Jesus walked, John's saying, start by agreeing with God, clinging to him. Because as he said in John 15, because as you abide in me and I in you, I will produce much fruit in your life. A Grace Bible, do you agree with God? Or are you still God? Let's not pretend like we can accept Jesus as our Savior and reject him as our Lord. Let's not pretend like we can embrace the very things that he has told us to forsake. Let's not pretend that we are walking in the light as he is in the light if we just hate the light and love the darkness. Maybe you find yourself in that situation and you're wondering what to do about that. This is why Paul tells in Philippians 2 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're struggling with the want to to want to, but you acknowledge the shortcoming here. Why don't you invite God and all of his power and all of his might and all of his sovereignty, why don't you invite him to give you the want to to want to? Why don't you confess and agree with him, Lord, even though my emotions haven't caught up yet, I agree with you that they need to. I confess. I'm in agreement with that. Lord, would you bring about the transformation in me? Would you be, bring about the transformation in the way I see my sin and the sins of others? In Grace Bible, I'm telling you, out of you will flow rivers of living water. God is gonna do a work in you more than you could ever ask or imagine. Do you trust him? Do you agree with him? Are you ready to walk in the light as he is in the light? Let me pray for you. Father, there's a whole lot of words. Proverbs says in many words, sin is not lacking. So whatever just came out of my mouth is not from you. I pray that you would just delete it from everybody's mind. Lord, and whatever, whatever has been said that is of you, Lord, I pray that it would just saturate our hearts and bring about the transformation that you long to create in us. Lord, we love you and we're thankful that even when you talk about sin, it's not a word of condemnation, but it's a word of invitation that we can actually be in the light as you are in the light and be set free and enjoy fellowship with Jesus. Lord, we need that and we need you to do that work in us. In Jesus' name we pray.